Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God well, bless you, and enjoy always, the stream. Water. There might be some of you today that have never been saved and need to be baptized, and we always want to keep open the invitation to come to the water uh, to come to the living water that never runs dry and to give your life to Christ. We have two young men coming today to be baptized. They were both saved in the 11 o'clock service two weeks ago. So I want y'all to give a big hand for Stacy this morning. Stacy, you come on. Yeah, this is a good man right here, Stacy. Listen, we, uh, when he got here, I said, Stacy, you got saved two weeks ago and I don't know if, if you knew we were baptizing or not, but man, if we could find you some shorts, we'll get you baptized. And we ran all over this place looking for a pair of shorts, didn't we, Stacy? He's got a pair of camouflage pants. That's all we could find. But he was wanting to get baptized this morning. And like I say, two weeks ago, uh, he came down to the altar during the 11 o'clock service invitation, just broken, to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we get to stand today in the waters together. So, Stacy, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So two weeks ago, we had this next young man, Wes. Y'all give Wes a big hand as he comes. Wes is a young student over at West Hall High School, plays football over there. Uh, came down to Flat Creek at the invitation of some of his friends. And uh, two weeks ago, Sunday morning, just like Stacy, gave his life to Christ. One thing that I appreciate about Wes is watching him over the last two weeks and the zeal that he has for the Lord Jesus. This past Friday, uh, uh, Brother Isaac and I made our way over to West Hall as the chaplains of the football team. And when we got there, we were about to give the message of the day. And I looked over at Wes's table. All the football players that were there, Wes was the only one that had his Bible sitting out on the table with all the guys sitting there with him. And just shows you the zeal that he has for the Lord Jesus Christ, even really early on as a follower of Christ. And Wes, have you given your life to Jesus? Yes. Then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, praise God. Amen. Praise God. I, I tell them all every time we baptize that you know that baptism is not your salvation. Your salvation happened two weeks ago. This is just an outward sign of an inward reality. Christ Jesus has already done the work. But two weeks ago when they got saved, I said that God had taken out his ink pen. He had dipped it in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had written their names in the Lamb's book of life. And we're going to celebrate that moment right now with our choir as they sing, I have a new name written down in glory. So, Brother Caleb, you come and lead our choir this morning.
Isn't it good to have the choir back this morning after a little bit of a summer break? And thank y'all so much. What a way to kick it back off. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me at this time? Father, thank you so much uh, for saving souls. What a joy it is to be able to get in those baptistry waters. I was just telling Mr. Uh, Ken Wallace back there who works with me in the baptistry room. I, I said, man, I, I said, as of right now, I don't know that I have anybody lined up for next Sunday. And I said, that'd be like the first Sunday in like five weeks. We don't have anybody to baptize. And I said, man, we got some work to do, Ken. Got to find somebody uh, that needs to know Jesus. And in reality, Lord, we don't force those things. We don't seek out a number. We just ask that the Holy Spirit move. And so what we pray today is that under the sound of my voice, Lord, there might be somebody in the room or online that has never given their life to Christ. And what we pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a new day for them where they would say yes to Jesus. For those of us who have been saved, we rejoice. We sing, we praise, we shout because our names have been written down. We are eternally secure. We know our Savior. We know our Redeemer. And we are so thankful today for the work that you've done in our lives. And Father, today, no matter what, we promise to give you praise because we rejoice in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation leads to endurance. Endurance leads to proven character, proven character, hope, as Paul says in the book of Romans. So we give you the glory no matter what situation or circumstance we walk through. And Father, we give you praise because you are who you are. Thank you, God, for your love for us. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You glad to be at worship today at Flat Creek? Amen. Listen, it's going to be a, a great day. If you are visiting with us for the very first time, we are so thankful that you are here this morning. Uh, in the back of your pews, you're going to find an envelope holder. And in that envelope holder, you're going to find a little green card that says Connections Card. If you could take that, fill that out for us. And on your way out the double doors this morning, over on your right, you're going to see a blue Connections tent. If you could turn that in for us, that's our way to connect with you during the week. We also have a gift for you just as a commemoration of you being here at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so grateful that you are here. Now, one of the customs that we have at Flat Creek is to greet those who are around us to greet our friends, to greet our family, and to greet those new faces that we see. And so what we want to ask you to do right now is to stand for a time of fellowship and shake the hands of those around you as Brother Caleb and the praise team lead us this morning. Hey.
I know you want to sing the third verse. When with the ransomed in glory. I, listen, I know. I know, but listen. We start off dreaming of where we're going to be. What a day that's going to be when we see Jesus just as he is, like it says in Revelation. He'll be there, and he gets to show us all over glory. But listen, we have to remember the reason. We, we stood amazed in his presence while he was here ministering and performing miracles and signs and wonders, fulfilling prophecies. And then he left with the promise that he's going to come back again. But we get to sing because of this. Jesus paid it all. Let's sing this together.
sing this with us. How I long to breathe the air of heaven, where pain is gone and mercy fills the street. To look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with me.
Amen. I tried not to do it, but I was doing some of that ugly singing that Caleb talked about sometime. Just letting it all out. Man, that was so good. Thank you all so much. Praise team and choir. So good. At this time, if you are here and you're between the ages of kindergarten and fifth grade and you have pre-registered this morning to go to Children's Church, Miss Breeze, our children's director, is right here behind the piano to meet you. See all these children running out the door. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. One of my favorite things at Flat Creek is when the choir does sing, they leave and go out that door, and the kids come this way and go out that door. You're going to hear it in a minute. It's going to be a traffic jam. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talking and a lot of laughter back there. Uh, I love those little kids. I, I was thinking about a time in Sunday school where the Sunday school teacher uh, asked her kids in her Sunday school class, she said, do you know where people go who do not put their money in the offering plate? One little kid said, to the movies. <laughs> 8, 30, and 11. Y'all didn't laugh at that too much. I'll scratch that joke out of the joke book, I guess. Uh, listen, we're going to ask you to turn your Bibles today to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verse number 9 through 11 is where we're going to be today. Romans 5, verse 9 through 11. Been preaching on this subject now for the last three weeks. Today is week number four, and the subject being the blessing of of our justification Amen. today's part four of uh, of this kind of this little series that's kind of sprung up here in the book of Romans and you might remember this a few weeks ago when we were going through Romans 4 I, I told you then I said you know Romans 4 is just it's so beautiful and all the things that it talks about and I said I, I really believe Romans 4 has just become one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible uh, just as it talks about our justification and, and, and how we know we're justified and all those things. And I really didn't know that it could get much better. And then we get into Romans 5 and just these first 11 verses. I mean, this is a treasure box. We could stay here, I suppose, forever just looking at the blessings of our justification. So I want you to listen to verse 9 through 11 this morning and what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, much more than... Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Would you join me for a moment in prayer? Uh, Father... Just as I'm standing here today, we've had a great service. Um, one thing I know over the last few weeks, seeing so many souls saved, experiencing the revival that we're really in the midst of here at Flat Creek, the enemy is working overdrive. And I know that right now, your word says of the parable of the sower, when the sower begins to sow the seed, uh, that the enemy comes in like a bird to take the seed out of the heart. So I know that right now there could be all kinds of distractions, all kinds of thoughts, different things that could take place that would cause us to, to be unable to have the seed of the word of God penetrate the soil of our hearts. And what I'm going to ask you right now, Father, is to just, in the mighty name of Jesus, uh, bind Satan and his demons from this place. Uh, God, may your Holy Spirit be made known. 
May your son Jesus be exalted. And may today be one of those days that we walk out of here just our cups filled because we've been in the presence of an almighty God. So, Father, I love you. And I give the service to you and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, back in the uh, early 1900s, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco was under construction. And when it was finished con being constructed, it was at the time the longest bridge on the face of the earth. It cost $77 million to build. You calculate that out into today's time and it would probably cost 5 or $6 billion to build the same bridge today. Now, as they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, that first part uh, or that first phase of construction, there were no safety devices used. And 23 men fell from the Golden Gate Bridge to their deaths in the San Francisco Bay. However, when they began the second phase of construction, not a single individual fell to his death. And as a matter of fact, work went on 25% faster than the first stage. And somebody seeing this statistical anomaly, they asked the question, well, what changed? Well, here's what changed. Just before starting the second phase of construction, the engineering firm who designed the bridge actually came in and installed what at that time was a very expensive safety net costing $100,000. They put that net underneath the bridge and this undergirding of the bridge with this net, it changed everything. Now that the workers knew they were safe from falling, they were free to devote their energies to the particular task at hand. Friends, what I want to submit to you this morning is that Romans chapter 5 is our undergirding of truth. It's our net, if you will. It's that, that realization of these amazing blessings which stem forth from our justification. That, if grasped, will create a newfound energy in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just consider for a moment that the many blessings of justification that we have systematically ventured through over the last few weeks. Well, first of all, we found this blessing, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. What does it say there in chapter 5, verse 1? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who have been born again, you are no longer at war with your Creator. You are no longer an enemy of God. Today, because of Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. That's blessing one. Blessing two is that you now have access to God. What's it say there? Chapter 5, verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. If you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 4 says, Therefore, let us enter the throne room of grace boldly, making our petitions be made known. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can now enter into the throne room of God. And there, Paul says that you are standing in grace. Access to God. That's blessing two of your justification. Blessing number three is hope in the glory of God. Hope in the glory of God. What's he say there in verse number two? He says, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And then he jumps down in verse 5, and hope does not disappoint, 
because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. So the hope of God, the hope of the glory of God, that's our hope of heaven, leading to the fourth blessing, which is the knowledge of the love of God. What's he say there? That the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. We talked about this last week extensively. It's like a picture that just never runs dry. The, the love of God is just continually being poured out into the heart of the believer. And that comes through this fifth blessing, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What's he say? The love of God poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Those of us who have been born again, now the Holy Spirit indwells us. Friends, these are great and amazing blessings. But there is still one more blessing that we must cover before we move on from these first 11 verses of chapter 5. And this is the blessing of eternal security with God. The blessing of eternal security. Now, friends, this biblical teaching has been debated for centuries. This, this biblical teaching has actually caused the formation of different mainstream denominations. This basic Bible teaching, it, it actually answers this question, can a person lose their salvation? Can a person sin away the day of grace? Is there a sin so heinous, a sin so grievous, that God would actually revoke the seal of the Holy Spirit placed on an individual's life the day of salvation. Friends, these are great questions to ask. And I'm sure in a room this size, this many people, that everybody in this room probably has different opinions as to whether or not you could lose your salvation. And as we think about this, friends, we must always turn to the Bible. What does the Bible say? We, we shouldn't approach a question like this with our own knowledge or our own feelings or what somebody else says about it. We also shouldn't approach a question like this through a denominational viewpoint. We should approach it and just say, what does the Bible say about this certain question? Can a person lose their salvation? Now, you might have heard it said in the Baptist church for years, once saved, always saved. Have you ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you have. Once saved, always saved. However... That's not actually the name of the doctrinal viewpoint of eternal security. The actual name of the doctrinal viewpoint is the perseverance of the saints. Now, in his book on systematic theology, Wayne Grudem defines this doctrine as follows. He says, the perseverance of the saints teaches that all of those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power. And will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end of their lives have been truly born again. Now I know that that sends alarm bells ringing in your mind at this moment asking the question, Pastor, is that true? You see, all of us in the room, we like the first part of that definition. That those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and they will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. We, we like that part of the definition. In fact, we cling to that part of the, de the, the definition. But, but not many of us like the second part of that definition which says, and that only those who persevere until the end of their lives have been truly born again. Amen. The reason we don't like the end of that definition lies in the fact that every one of us in the room, we know of somebody, 
Might be a son, might be a daughter, might be a grandson, granddaughter, might be a relative, a friend, a co-worker. We all know somebody who's prayed a sinner's prayer, walked an aisle, signed a membership card, gotten fired up for Christ, only to fall away and never to be heard from again. In fact, I would venture to say that right now there's probably some tension in the hearts of some of you in the room. Because the person I just described is your loved one. And you're clinging to hope. Any hope you can find that, that maybe, just maybe, they were truly saved. And here's what I want to say to you, dear friend. If they were truly saved, they will never lose their salvation. They are eternally secure. We'll talk more about that in a moment. However, the second part of that definition is also true. The true believer will persevere to the end. Amen. You ask the question, well, pastor, where do, you, where do you see that in the Bible? I mean, you just told us that we've got to find scriptural proof. So where do you find that in the Bible? I want you to turn to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 19. And I want you to listen to what the apostle John writes there. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 19. There, the Apostle John says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Now, when you think about that, you might want to underline that word for remain. He said they would have remained with us. Now, that word in the Greek is the word meno. And it means to abide. Now, where else have we heard that word meno or that word abide? Well, we find it in John chapter 15. John 15, a very famous passage where Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And in that text, Jesus says, abide in me. Meno in me. Remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, listen, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Is there any other place in Scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of a believer as one who is thrown away and burned? No, that's reserved for the unbeliever. So the one who does not abide by the, by the fruits of their life prove themselves to not be a true believer. To abide means to continue, to last, to endure, to remain, to not depart. That's the essence of perseverance. The person who is not truly saved will not abide. They will not remain. Now, of course, the primary biblical example of this is none other than Judas Iscariot. Here's a person who left house, he left home, he left family in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard him teach. He saw the miracles. Judas even performed miracles himself. However, he did not persevere with Christ. Instead, when offered the things of this world, he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver and died by hanging himself in a tree. 
Now, somebody's going to say to me, well, pastor, you're not, you're not really comparing my loved one to Judas, are you? I mean, well, obviously what Judas did was a heinous thing, but, but my loved one prayed a prayer. They've, they've never betrayed Jesus. Well, actually, friends, John calls them worse than Judas. For just before John says they went out from us because they did not know us, or they were not of us, he says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. He then says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. John says that they're Antichrist. They're against Christ. And he says, this is the person who doesn't bear forth fruit. They were never saved, and because they were never saved, they cannot lose that which they never possessed. Now, friends, I know that there are many in the room right now that you're not just wrestling over this when it comes to a loved one, but you're actually filled with doubt in your own life. And you're asking the question constantly, what if I lose my salvation? What if I fall away? You're seeking assurance, wanting nothing more than to have that freedom that we continually talk about and that you see others living in. You, your life is marked by that poem that says, let me meet you on the mountain, Lord, just once. You wouldn't have to burn a whole bush, just a few smoking branches, and I would surely be your Moses. Let me meet you on the water, Lord, just once. It have, wouldn't have to be on White Rock Lake, just a puddle after that annual Dallas rain, and I would surely be your Peter. Let me meet you on the road, Lord, just once. You wouldn't have to blind me on the expressway. Just a few bright lights on the way to church, and I would surely be your Paul. Let me meet you, Lord, just once, anywhere, anytime. Meeting you in the Word is so hard sometimes. Must I always be your Thomas? Many of you wrestle with doubt and the assurance of your salvation and being eternally secure. But Paul wants you to know. Paul wants you to have that undergirding of truth, that safety net to know that you are in the hand of an almighty God. A teacher by the name of Will Davis said, as long as a believer is worrying about whether or not they are truly saved, they will never grow up to spiritual maturity. It basically guarantees that a Christian will remain stuck in spiritual infancy. And worse, it paints a picture of God that is not only untrue, but also unbiblical. It cheapens the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, and makes God look like a finicky human. Charles Spurgeon says, it seems to me that doubt is worse than a trial of faith. He said, I had sooner suffer any affliction than to be left to question the gospel. And Elizabeth Elliot once said, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. Know this, dear believer. If you have truly put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be kept by God's power. And you will persevere to the end. And by your perseverance, you will prove that you are truly born again. Now, throughout the New Testament, we have scriptural proof of the veracity of eternal security. So if you like to take notes, you might want to write some of these verses down because when doubt creeps into your mind, you can go back to these verses and you can cling to them. Let me just read a few for you. John 5, 24. 
John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Listen, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. John 10, 27 through 29. John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There was a little boy that once wrestled with his eternal security, and he was looking at this verse, and he said to his pastor, he said, I still just can't grasp it. And the pastor said, the Lord is your great shepherd. So take your five fingers and say this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And the little boy continued to do it. And the pastor said, you're still not getting it. The Lord is my shepherd. And he said, when you get here, I want you to say my as loud as you can. The Lord is my shepherd. And he said, and now what I want you to do is I want you to hold on to that ring finger. And every time you say those words, the Lord is my shepherd, you remember that you were in the hand of the almighty God and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. That's what Romans 8, 36 through 39 says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height or depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1, 6, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the Apostle Peter would write in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, if you believe and you know that the Bible is the word of God, these verses alone are sufficient evidence that a person who is truly saved is saved to the uttermost, eternally secure. It always baffles me that when we talk about eternal security that Romans 5 is actually left out of the discussion. You see, three of the most important verses that we have pertaining to our internal security are verse 9 through 11 of chapter 5. How do I know that I'm eternally secure? Well, listen to what Paul says in chapter 5 of the book of Romans. First of all, he says, you know that you're eternally secure because in love he died. In love he died. What does he say there in verse 6 through 8 of Romans 5? He says, for while we were still helpless, meaning I can't help myself. I'm not able to save myself. I can't work my way to salvation. While I was still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, in my Bible, I have the word ungodly underlined with a little arrow next to it. And right beside it, I have me with an exclamation point beside it. Christ died for me. He died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, 
though perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now listen to what he says next, verse 9. Much more than. If you go and study down in the Greek, it, it actually, those words actually mean this. Much, much more and to a greater degree. I mean, Paul is, he is, he is shouting at us. If, if he did all of this in love, if he died for you in love, much, much more and to a greater degree. This is what Paul's trying to convey to us. If God did this great thing, and it's truly an amazing thing in love, giving up his only begotten son to die as our sacrificial substitute, if he did this great thing, then rest assured he will also do that which is considered to be of lesser degree. If he died for us while we were sinners, will he not keep us now as saints? If he loved us while we were helpless and ungodly and sinful, how much more will he now love us now that we are adopted as his sons? If he gave up his son as the propitiation of his wrath, shouldn't we also trust that what he accomplished on Calvary has satisfied the same wrath for all eternity for those who believe? That's Paul's argument. You are eternally secure because he loved you enough to die for you. You might ask the question, well, how does that affect me now? How does that affect my doubt? Well, well, listen to what Paul says in verse 9. Much, much more and to a greater degree, having now been justified by his blood. All right, now you circle back up to verse 1 because it sounds a lot like verse 1. Verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith. So in verse 1, he says we're justified, which let me remind you that being justified means you're declared not guilty in the courtroom of God. Having been justified, past tense, Paul says in verse 1, by faith, he says in verse 9, by his blood. Is that a contradiction? Absolutely not. You see, in verse 1, Paul gives us the means by which a person is justified. You are justified by faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace that you were saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. That's the means. We're justified by faith. Verse 9 gives us the object of our faith. He says you are justified by his blood. His blood is representative of his death. Let me just say to everybody in the room today that the shed blood of Jesus is central to the gospel message. You might think to yourself this morning, well, pastor, that's really not that important of a point to make. However, we live in a day where many churches and many preachers are doing all they can to shy away from the blood of Jesus because it's considered gory and unfriendly and unwelcoming. And and if we talk about the blood, it'll scare away potential prospects. Friends, we have fallen so far from the gospel that Paul preached Paul says, if I may boast, may I boast only in the cross of Jesus. For as I had a Bible professor in college teach us that it's not the blood that matters, it's the death of Jesus that matters. He says, it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus shed his blood. What really matters is that he died. And, And in one sense, I understand what he means. If Jesus had only bled and not died, then his blood would do nothing for us. However... 
The writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus not only had to die, but he had to shed his precious blood in order for our sins to be atoned for. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. You see, blood represents the life of the animal. And in the case of the cross of Christ, it represented the life of Jesus. And God says, I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And you will remember throughout the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was bloody in nature. Every day offering animals, every day offering sacrifices. Once a year, the day of atonement, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling the Ark of the Covenant with the blood. Friends, with respect to my Bible professor, Jesus is our source. And Jesus said that the new covenant that he was ratifying on our behalf, that he, he was ratifying that new covenant by the broken body and by the blood which would be shed. Romans 9, 11 through 15, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of bulls and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of those things which have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, the same words he uses there in verse number nine, much, much more and to a greater degree will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Friends, I want you to know this morning that the hymn writer got it right when he penned the following words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this is my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing for can sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Friends, you take that in one hand. Amen. Charles Stanley said to say that Christians can lose their salvation is to say that the blood of Christ was inadequate to perfect for all time those whom God has sanctified. You take the blood of Christ in one hand and then you look at the rest of that verse. Paul says, whom we have received our justification through his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Much like his blood, the wrath of God is one of those subjects we don't really like to breach in the church today because it makes us all uncomfortable. But the wrath of God is preached about in the Bible, and because it's spoken about and written about in the Bible, we are going to preach about it. 
You see, friends, here at Flat Creek Baptist Church, we take our stand on this word. This is our authority. This is not a, a man's show here. We are just preaching what the Bible says. And the Bible says that we will not face the wrath of God if we are believers, but that means that the wrath of God is a reality. You remember as you go back to Romans chapter number 1, Paul teaches us there's a sense in which the wrath of God is already being displayed. In Romans chapter 1, Paul teaches us that the wrath of God is being displayed presently in terms of judicial abandonment. Romans 1, God is giving you over to your desires and wants. God is literally withdrawing himself from you in your sin. You might remember when we walked through that passage, the fact that God is silent is not a sign of his indifference. It's not a sign of his apathy. It's not a sign of his demise. The reason that God is silent is the clearest sign that we are under the judgment of God in our society. He is literally withdrawing himself and saying, if that's what you want, you can have it. And therefore, lawlessness abounds in the street. So there's a sense in which the wrath of God is experienced now. But what Paul says here has a future tense application. He says we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. This is future tense. So this is coming about, a, this is speaking of a wrath that is coming. Namely, the wrath of God displayed in eternity against those who have rejected the gospel. Revelation 21, 11 through 15 John said, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. How terrifying that on the day of judgment, the lost individual is judged according to what? Their deeds. And what has Paul been teaching us? For five chapters, you can't save yourself. Your righteousness is filthy rags in the eyes of God. Your deeds are no good. They will not save you. You can't stand before him, hit your chest and say, look at me. On that day, you will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. This is what John says. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, this is the wrath of God which is poured out on the ungodly and sinful world at the end of all time. But I want you to notice what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. He says that the wrath of God is not reserved for the believer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10, for God has not destined us for wrath. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. For as we know that we will not face the wrath of God because of what Paul said in Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe 
For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. How did Jesus die? He died publicly. He died on Golgotha, stretched out for all of human eyes to see as a propitiation in his blood. There's the word blood again. In his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. Friends, God's righteousness demands justice. Therefore, sin must be punished. In fact, if you're having a hard time believing that God will pour out his wrath upon the ungodly, just look at the cross. For on the cross, his righteous demands came crashing down upon the Lord Jesus Christ who became sin for you and payment in full for the sins of humanity was made. This is why Jesus died. To pay the ransom for your sins so that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Jesus paid your sin debt in order that you might be rescued from the penalty of sin, which is the wrath of God poured out against you. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ Jesus, our sin debt has been paid. The wrath of God has been satisfied for all eternity. You will never have to face the just demands of the law which was once against you. So what Paul writes in Colossians 2, 12 and 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all of our transgressions, have been canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile of us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You want to talk about eternal security. Your sin debt has been nailed to the cross. Is God now going to revoke the payment? Is the credit of Christ going to be declined? At the judgment seat of God for the believer? Absolutely not. Your sins have been forgiven. Eternally secure. In love, he died. That's point one. He's got two more to go. Well, hurry. And somebody set an alarm for me back there. Y'all hear that? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Somebody said, well, we're going to have to put an alarm on this guy. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> Number two, in power he rose. In power he rose. How do we know that we're eternally secure? In power he rose. Listen to what it said. For if, verse 10, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled. So if while we were at war with him we were reconciled. The word for reconciled is the word kataluso in the Greek. It means to exchange. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we now have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You were once alienated, you were once separated, but now you've been brought near. That's the essence of reconciliation. For if while we were enemies, if while we were at war with our creator, we were reconciled to God through his death, listen, 
much more than having been reconciled. So now that we have been transferred, now that we have been brought near, we shall be saved by his life. Paul's once again saying, if he did all of this by his death, imagine, imagine what he can do for you with his life. And understand, friends, that when Paul mentions by his life, he's not speaking of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not speaking of the teachings, the parables, the healing of the sick. He's not talking about the opening of the eyes of the blind or making the lame to leap. He's not talking about opening the ears of the deaf. He's not talking about feeding 5,000, walking on water, calming the rage and sea. He's not even talking about Jesus raising people from the dead. He's not talking about any of those things. As wonderful as his earthly life was, these were simply proofs meant to point us to the greatest miracle of them all, not only that Christ died, but that he resurrected. You see, friends, let us not leave Jesus on the cross. And let us not leave Jesus in a borrowed tomb, but let us always remember to preach not only Christ crucified, but Christ resurrected. Don't you remember Mary Magdalene? She comes to the tomb. She lays her eyes on Jesus. And when she goes back to the apostles, what does she say? I have seen the Lord. Amen. She was preaching, teaching Christ resurrected. I have seen him with my eyes. I have beheld him. Remember Romans 4.25? He was delivered over because of our transgressions. Why did he have to die? Because of our sins. And was raised for our justification. Why did he resurrect? The resurrection is God's stamp of approval upon the death of Christ. In essence, the resurrection is God the Father saying, payment in full has been made. Perfect blood has been given. Therefore, death has lost its sting for the believer. Death has been swallowed up in victory. For the believer, death is not your future because you have already come to grasp and lay hold of eternal life. How do I know that I'm eternally secure? How do I know that I will never lose my salvation? Because he lives. Amen. Let me ask you a question. If you have come to Christ and you are in his hand, who dares ascend into the throne room of grace to try to pluck you out of his hand? Who has the power? Who has the authority to walk into that room of the one who has shed his blood for you and that reach up and take you out of his hand. Nothing, no one, no one in heaven, no one under the earth, no one in the earth can snatch you out of the hands of your living Savior. You are eternally secure. In love he died, in power he rose, and lastly, in grace he saved. Amen. Yes. In grace he saved. What does he say there in verse 2? Into this grace in which we stand. Right here in verse 11, he says, and not only this. You remember how we're building that tower for the last couple of weeks. The foundation being justification. And then we come up peace with God. Peace with God leads to access to God. Access to God leads to the hope of the glory of God. Hope in the glory of God gives us patience and tribulation. 
And because our hope won't disappoint, now the love of God is being poured out in our hearts. And the love of God is being poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is the seal and down payment of our faith. Therefore, we are now eternally secure. And, and in love, he died. And in power, he rose. And then if we could just put a little cherry on top of it all, Paul says, by grace, you've been saved. Amen. Much more than, much more than, not only this. Listen, we also exalt in God. My friends, it's striking to hear Paul say these words. The word for exalt here in the Greek is the word for boast. It's, it's striking to hear Paul say these words. You know why? Because if you jump back over to chapter 2, you'll remember in verse 17, Paul said, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, and then he proceeds to condemn the Jews and say that the name of God is blasphemed because of them. And then chapter 3, verse 27, he says, where's boasting? It is excluded. But now in 5.11, he says, we as believers in Christ, we exult or we boast or we rejoice in God. Is he being contradictory? Not at all. You see, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul is speaking of boasting due to religious ethnicity. Boasting due to religious affiliation. But Paul now says, we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation through him. Paul says, we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have come to recognize our inability to save ourselves. For those of us who are believers in Christ, we have ceased trying to climb a ladder to get to God. We have ceased trying to climb a mountain. We have ceased from trying to fulfill religious rules and obligations and requirements. We have ceased from offering empty religious sacrifices. We have ceased from trying to fulfill every jot and every tittle of the law. We have ceased from a path of enlightenment. We have ceased from doing all we can do, hoping it's going to work out in the end. We have ceased from hoping that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds on the day of judgment. We have ceased from our labors and we have come to rest fully in the finished work of Christ Jesus. Amen. Therefore, we exult in God. Why do we sing, ugly sing, hymn of heaven? Why do we sing with all of our might, Jesus paid it all? Why, why do we stand and weep when we say, there will be a day when all will stand before him? Why do we sing? Why do we shout? Why do we rejoice? Because we realize that our reconciliation comes from Him. Amen. Friends, we're not the subject of our reconciliation. Amen. He is. That means we're not the one doing the reconciling. We're the object of reconciliation. God. God is the one who reconciles. God is the one who moves toward us. It was God who made a way for us to obtain salvation. It was God who put a predetermined plan into motion and has fulfilled it to a T. It was God who sent forth his son. It was God who was pleased to crush him for the iniquity of, our, of us all. It was God who resurrected Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. 
It's God who has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. It's God who searched down the darkest alleyways of this earth and found you when you were helpless, ungodly, and in sin. It was God who initiated the call for you to come to him. It was God who snatched you like a burning stick from a fire. It is God who did all the work. Therefore, we don't boast in our flesh. We don't boast in denomination. We don't boast in religious observances. We don't boast in our traditions. We boast in Christ Jesus, Amen. through whom we have received this reconciliation. Praise God. Amen. Our salvation is not dependent upon us. Our salvation is dependent upon his work and not ours. If our salvation were dependent upon us, then yes, you could lose your salvation. As the writer of Hebrews says, we can lose it every day. And the only way to get it back would be to re-crucify the Son of God. He'd literally have to come back down and die for you every day if you can lose your salvation. But he has come once and paid the full paid the price in full. That's why on Calvary's cross, he said, it is finished. Amen. Friends, it is finished indeed. There is no need to re-crucify the Son of God. Amen. For the believer, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. God's wrath has been satisfied. You are standing in grace, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. You are standing in grace not because of what you've done, but because of what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin. Every day, the Holy Spirit working in you, helping you to overcome those things that used to be held captive by. And one day, you will be saved from the presence of sin the day we see him face to face. On that day, sin's penalty will be no longer felt. The consequences of sin will have ceased and we will reign victoriously with him for all eternity. And friends, that is a certain reality. Amen, yes. Why? Because in love he died, in power he rose, in grace he saved. He did all the work so that you didn't have to. So that you could live with that, that safety net, that undergirding of truth and be free to serve him without the fear of falling away. If you don't get anything else, get this last sentence. If you are saved, your salvation is the most secure thing in the universe. Amen. If you are saved, you will never fall away. Corey Ten Boom said, in God's faithfulness lies eternal security. Maybe some of you don't have that assurance because you've never really given your life to Christ. And that's why you wrestle with the doubts that you do. We want you to leave assured. We want you to know. We want you to know that you know that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, maybe today is your day of salvation. The day that you say yes to Jesus. Placed into his hand and loving relationship with him. Nothing can ever take you out of it eternally secure. Do you know him? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Brother Caleb, the praise team, we're going to come. Leave us, lead us in a, a wonderful hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. 
The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Have you given your life to Christ? Do you know him? If you've never been saved, but you want today to be the day of salvation, would you just pray a, a prayer of repentance at this moment? They came to Peter in Acts 2 and they said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, Repent. Repent and be baptized. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. You want to be forgiven? Repent, believe in Christ, be baptized. If you've never been saved, we're going to give you just a few moments now to pray and ask him to save you right now, right where you are, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Just pray. Pray and ask Jesus to save you. He says in his word, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, cry out to him right now, you'll be saved. Take a few moments for those of you who need to give your life to Christ, just pray. quietness of this room if you've prayed this morning to receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time you've never given your life to him before but you want to give your life to him today would you just raise your hand right now we want to celebrate with you anybody today need to give their life to Christ this is your opportunity now anybody at all would say I prayed today to receive the Lord Jesus amen we'll trust that all hearts are secure says we're so late in the hour I'm just going to pray brother Caleb and close us for our time here today uh, if Caleb's still going to play let me just remind you if you are a part of the child safety and security uh, stuff and you want to stay and you want to work in a want as a youth please stay after here in the sanctuary we're going to have a child safety and security training I'd love for you to be a part of that also if you'd like to give to Flat Creek you can give your way out the door flatcreekchurch.net but most of all if you need to be saved today when the service is over, I'm going to make my way over to the Connections tent. I'll be standing under that blue tent. You come tell me if you're desired to be saved and give your life to Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. Thank you for the day. What a joy it's been to be in your presence and to worship with the saints. And I praise your name. I thank you for saving me. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that I'm eternally secure in your hand forevermore. Nothing can take me out of it. That's the greatest joy of them all. Lord, today I give you all the praise, glory, and honor for everything. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. Thank you all so much for coming to Flat Creek Baptist Church. If you visited with us, please swing by our Connections tent. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have
the morning When I hear the birds singing It sounds like freedom You've been good to me Even late in the evening When the day is ending I'll still be singing You've been good to me Glory FM, North Georgia's Southern Gospel Music Station. You have walked me through the valley of the shadows dark and low, and that's reason enough to have shown me endless mercy Oh, why I'll never know And that's reason enough to believe So I won't wait for signs and wonders To teach me how to trust Cause you've already of your great love You took the cross so willingly The 
that spilled your precious blood and that's reason enough to believe yes that's reason enough for me when I took your grace for granted I was granted even more and that's reason enough to believe oh and with compassion you convince me I'm not hopeless anymore and that's reason signs and wonders to teach me how to trust cause you've already proven Lord the depths of your great love you took the cross so willingly and spilled your precious blood and that's reason enough That's reason enough for me. That's reason. That's reason. That's more than music it's ministry and it ministers to your heart and you're not just hearing music you're hearing testimonies and you're actually hearing the word of god 97.5 glory fm i gave the world the best of my days let people down in so many ways reckless emotions Led me astray till I couldn't see Lost all direction, no hope inside Weary of living, I gave up on life Searching for answers, I wondered why would God even help me Then he reached out his tender hand of mercy It's amazing He looked beyond my failures And saw what I could be It's hard to believe That He could love what was left of me Broken and battered And He came my way Seeking the lost Those who had strayed his heart that day, I found peace. Considered me worth the price that he paid on that rugged old cross where he took my place. I'm now forgiven, redeemed by his grace. He loved me. 
Glory FM, North Georgia's Southern Gospel Music Station. There are little thoughts for little minds. Sometimes I think I'm that kind, the kind to worry needlessly, I guess. But Jesus says, come unto me, believe, and you will receive. Lay your burdens down, I'll do the rest. And he comes in time, on time, every time I need him, just when I think I'm gonna fail. He answers, yes, no, maybe so, I don't worry, cause I know he's in time, on time, every time I need Here I am again, helpless and I need a friend I'll depend on you to ease my troubled soul And he comes in time, on time, every time I need him Just when I think I'm gonna fail He answers yes, no, maybe so I don't worry cause I know he's in time, on time, every time I need
97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North